Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Good morning. Welcome to Medicine on Call. This morning, I have one of my favorite guests on, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. Uh, she's a board-certified anesthesiologist and a board member of the American, Asso- American Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. And not only is she a doctor, but she's a lawyer and somebody who is on the legislative front line as well as a practicing physician, which is really important these days. We have had a lot of changes happen in our healthcare system. And I think we're far enough down the road that things are really starting to become clear as to the path, the direction, and the effect on our health care system. Everything was theoretical at the beginning of the Affordable Care Act. Obviously, we were told we could do a lot of things that never came to pass. Keep your doctor, have access to quality health care. Um, have cheaper health care, do whatever you'd like and get it for free, you name it, they, they, they promised it. And it's pretty clear now that that was all a ruse in order to take over and corrupt the health care system. And Dr. Singleton wrote an, an article, um, which I think is really timely, so I had to have her back on the show. Um, it's called Making Lemons from Lemonade and Squeezing the Joy Out of Medicine, which is what we talk about or have talked about for years on the show. And I think it's time we actually take another look dispassionately at what's going on with the legislative process and where we are now in terms of the effect on our healthcare system. So I wanted to thank you, Dr. Singleton, for coming on. I thought your article was timely, and as soon as I read it, I contacted you immediately, and you're so awesome. You took time out of your busy schedule to come on the show today, so thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Look, I know that there's, you know, we live this because we see this every day. But in your opinion, what do you think the average American is thinking about the healthcare system? I'm curious. To, I don't, in my opinion, I think people who pay attention to things are outraged, and people who really are just kind of on the fringe of everything are just like floating along, not knowing what's going to hit them. <laughs> what's what's your take on it? That's what I think that most folks are just, they don't pay any attention, of course, until it matters. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I always think about, and I try to put myself as truly as a patient, when I go to the doctor for the yearly physical and think, okay, how has it changed? How, where's the computer screen this time? And is he going to look off into outer space with whatever I have to tell him you know oh my hands are achy or whatever Mm -hmm. and will he care will he look up some algorithm and put in age height weight and say oh must be arthritis you know you kind of don't know anymore these days how responsive the doctor is going to be. And I think for many folks, and, and in fact, my next-door neighbor had broken her ankle and went to the hospital, and she said it was just up and down as far as that she was treated like a number mm-hmm. and not a name. And Elizabeth's old enough to remember what it was like when we were all treated like a name. 
And this is what bothers me because the core of the patient-doctor relationship is seeing your doctor as uh, someone you can trust, someone you can talk to, someone you can blurt something out to, Mm -hmm. and you won't be judged. And um, now I just wonder, and I wonder when patients see the computer out, are they afraid to open their mouths, and are you really getting the full story from the patients? I have to absolutely agree. Those in the know, I mean, I have people who are now coming in who don't want to sign HIPAA, which I totally understand. It's not even, you don't even have to sign it. We're all under this yoke of regulation, but sometimes the regulations really can be sidestepped, and maybe in some instances, and a lot of times, they should be. I'm, that was one of my major fears about the health information technology uh, legislation and having electronic medical records and having a cloud. I've always been afraid of that, that someone's going to hack it, that you have all these non-physician entities that are able to access it, like the government, and what, you know, information is power. I was at, uh, in D.C. a couple of months ago, and one of the things that we learned, and which was shocking, actually, in its honesty, was that financial information isn't all that important when they hack. You know, things that change or variable are not important. It's your health information that has become the most valuable thing that a hacker or somebody who wants to, you know, have access to your personal information can get because it doesn't change because they can get a snapshot of everything about you based on on health information. To me, that was an eye-opening statement because all you have is your health. That's more about you than anything else, isn't it? Absolutely, and the thing is, excuse me, as you said, financial information, it's numbers, it's inconvenient, and in most cases, it can be remedied. Mm -hmm. The health information, think of some of the things, and even though you're an ENT specialist, I'm sure patients tell you many other things that have nothing to do with their ears, nose, and throat, that they're in there with a doctor who's willing to listen to them. Oh, yeah. And they might have said, oh, the other day I was just so enraged, I think I hit my child too hard, or, oh, I know my wife drinks too much, and maybe his wife is running for mayor. Maybe he just said that because he was mad at his wife. Somebody gets it, and then they say, oh, Mrs. Smith is a drunk. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at all the things that are said in a doctor visit. And the sad thing is, the patients won't tell you, and then the good doctors aren't going to write it down. So what, what use is a medical record? Of course, if you're out of town or whatever, and mm-hmm you have a trusted colleague that's covering for you. It's it's just crazy to think. I I just sit here and try to think of anything I've ever said and all the things that patients have said to me. And certainly in the 80s when everybody out in L.A. was using cocaine and I needed to know that, but I didn't know that it needed to be stamped on the front of their chart. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. Do you think, okay, does everybody need to know this? 
or just the doctors involved in this particular case till we tell the guy to go to rehab or whatever. Right. So it, it takes away that, that judgment, and I just can't imagine what this would do to somebody. I look at younger folk who are looking at a career in public office or teaching or something where some sort of information that they've told their doctor in confidence gets out in public. I think it's shocking. I absolutely agree. And, you know, it goes even beyond what you tell your doctor. They can just try to decipher things from your medication list, which is out and about. I mean, as soon as you write that electronic prescription, it goes to whatever pharmacy. That becomes, you know, a database for marketing for, you know, other pharmacies, the drug reps know. I mean, that's another problem. So you can be on a medication, in it, you know, they put it in inadvertently. You're taking it off-label. There's no, uh, how can I put it? It's very cut and dry. Algorithms are driven by numbers and by trends. It's not about the individual. So if you fall outside of a some sort of mean, some sort of average, you're going to be painted with the same brush. That's And it'll follow you forever. Maybe if you want to get, you know, life insurance or some sort of insurance plan, they have access to your medical records as well, or at least you're supposed to give it to them if they ask. What happens when all these unintended consequences come online, or or maybe they're intended, because it's all about getting a picture of you. I mean, you can even extrapolate this to these Alexa and Siri programs that are constantly listening to your phone, to listening to you in order to give you what they think you want. You know, it's kind of it's kind of creepy when you think about oh, all of these things. I can't believe that people are buying into that. Apparently, one of them, and I don't remember which one, can even take pictures of you. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's crazy. It is crazy, and I don't know why somebody... I'm sure people. some people get it to be cool, but without thinking that it's recording everything you ask so they know absolutely everything about you. I mean, it's bad enough to have a Safeway club card when you go to the grocery store so it spews out a coupon Mm -hmm. for ice cream if you bought another brand of ice cream. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that now it knows that you buy ice cream, (laughs) it's... it's it's, But I think part of the problem is because of all those club cards and this and that, and uh, you buy something online, I bought this fake plan online. Now, whenever I turn on my computer, fake plan pop up in my <laughs> face. And it's like, okay, I bought it. Don't show me any more of them. But we're all so used to it. But that is a technique, and we all know that if you beat at something a little bit at a time, bit by bit by bit, Mm -hmm. then people get used to it. They get used to the control. They get used to people nosing around in your life. And then when you take the next step and they're nosing around in your most private healthcare life, it's it's just an extension of what you're already used to. It's it's one big, you know, ball of yarn. You just keep unraveling this. You really see that it's one constant string of control you know 
imagine. I mean, I was on a, listening to a radio show the other day, and it kind of freaked me out. But somebody had a story of somebody having one of these Alexa um, machines in their house. They're talking about the owner of Amazon. You know, they're bad mouthing Jeff Bezos apparently, and then they get mm-hmm. this this voice from the machine going, "Are you sure you want to say that?" <laughs> I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> so, you, can you imagine the thought police coming after you, and how that could potentially come after you at work? You're talking about private stuff. You know, you're talking with your friends. You're shooting the you know the fat. People say a lot of things. Some true, some not. Imagine having your boss getting it somehow back to your boss and Facebook or whatever that you said X about Y and you get fired. This is uh-huh. this is the unintended consequences. Or, you know, you you surf for medical marijuana, some you know, you're in a legal state, whatever, and it comes back to a boss or someone's doing a search on you and you're getting a job. These are the things that people absolutely don't think about. And they're all being put together in a big picture value. I'm not interested in blockchain technology. I think that's a horrible thing. One-stop shop where all of your information is in a cloud. What happens when it gets hacked? It's not safe. It's not secure. You know, it's this false sense of if it's in the computer, it must be good. People need to let that thing go. Oh, that's the truth. I have this whole thing. Anyway, people need to just talk to each other. Oh, my, yes. (laughs) For starters, that you certainly can't transmit a full idea with the depth of an idea through a text or even through an email. You have to have a back and forth. It certainly has its usefulness, Mm -hmm. but not for day-to-day conversation. It just doesn't happen anymore. Well, we have to take a break, but when we come back, I want to get your thoughts, because that's the same wavelength of this telemedicine craze that's going on. So I want to get your take on that when we come back. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. Today we're speaking with Dr. Marilyn Singleton, a board-certified anesthesiologist, a board, mer- me- sorry, a board member of the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons. And before the break, Dr. Singleton, we were starting to get into the, the, the techno- technocracy of healthcare. And I think all of this is just making people lay down to believe that telemedicine is the coolest, next best thing, better than seeing a doctor, and everybody should go that way. Uh, What's your take on it? I think telemedicine certainly has a use. And having many moons ago moonlighted way off in the boonies, way, way off in the boonies, (laughs) and had some difficult cases and difficult each EKG interpretation, and I was able to send it. It was a really big deal back then and send the EKG to a cardiologist down in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this was a doctor-to-doctor electronic communication, not a patient to nurse, doctor, PA, whoever is on the other end of the line. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a big difference. Now, having worked with patients who are in very deep rural areas, 
they do need some sort of access. There's no question about it. I don't like to see it become the norm, however. I think the patients need somebody that they can actually talk to. But it's an interesting paradox if they're that far out in the country. In order to do telemedicine, you've got to have a computer. Well, do they have a computer? You know, if you're really a poor person in Appalachia, do you have a computer? I don't know. So is it really designed to help the folks that really need it mm-hmm. or just to mechanize medicine more and more? I think it's the, the latter honestly how much money has poured in from wall street and it's like a the boom of the dot-com startups everybody now has some sort of well not everybody but there's a growing number of companies encroaching into the healthcare um, profession with uh, startups for having doctors work in telemedicine and you never have to see you don't you know you don't have to open a, a practice of brick and mortar you can see patients and make money without all the hassle um, you know, on your smartphone, and it's become a trend. It's kind of cool for the millennials who don't want to spend $600 sitting in an ER. I get that, but I'm sorry, walking into a kiosk where you stick your finger in a in a oxygen um, monitor and you take they take a picture of you and do some sort of weird, weird scan, spit out a prescription, all automated, is not the answer, in my opinion. And that's where they're going. And they think it's really awesome. And then they're talking about blockchain technology. I was on flight on Delta and one, you know, the the magazine. They're talking about all the new stuff, cool stuff in Atlanta. And there's this one person who has a startup and her job, and I agree with some of it because that's been the, the promise of our health information technology is, oh, you can go to California, go to New York, you get in trouble, your, me- your medical records are right there. That's never happened, right? You have all these mm-hmm. epic and e-clinical, all these other things. They never talk to each other. If you ever no. want to leave, they charge you thousands of dollars to take your health information. You don't even own it as a physician. They do. And wow. to me, yeah, they tried to charge me $10,000 to go from eClinical to another platform. It took us weeks, but we <laughs> managed to copy all of my health, all of the charts and put it on a hard drive. But there's no way I'm spending $10,000 for my information, right? This is a oh, scam. Oh, that's terrible. Total scam. So her thing was have a blockchain medical record that whatever you put in the medical record, I don't care where you are in the world, it'll upload to this node that'll contain your health information. Well, you know, what can go wrong with that? (laughs) Just, I mean, I understand how it should work, but it's not a good idea. What happens when someone gets in there and corrupts it or takes it? Even having a, a health information platform in our own country that everybody could just inter interoperability it's just not a great idea they can't even keep the government irs and cia information safe what makes anybody think that they're going to keep your health information safe i'm just saying well that's what slays <laughs> me is when they can hack the pentagon <laughs> yeah that they can hack anything and i think one thing a lot of people think and uh many a time i'm thinking boy am i glad I'm nobody famous Mm. because nobody will be after me and I think it's something that a lot of patients think about well I'm not a movie star who cares about my medical records Mm -hmm. and 
I suppose there's some validity to that thought if you're a quote-unquote nobody is anyone going to specifically go after you but it's hard to know what that information would be used for and you hate sound like you've been reading too much George Orwell but it (laughs) might not be someone from the National Enquirer who's hacking it but it's the government to categorize people and to decide okay well these people won't get X or these people won't get Y based on all this other information we you just don't know and I think over the years when we've seen what perverse ways information is used that um, I think, however, it could be used. We haven't even thought of it yet. Oh, I agree. I mean, I've had Twyla Brace on the show, and we've talked about the DNA data bank that's been, that started with cord blood, and when your child is born, they take that and states hold it forever. In some instances, they can sell it to biotech companies. That's your genetic information. If someone comes up with a vaccine or some sort of cure, you don't own it. They do. And so imagine all of that just, now it's just gathered. You know, it's like sitting in some big, you know, computer somewhere. But at some point, they're going to figure out how you put it all together and how do you make the information work or valuable. And I think you're absolutely right. I have a real bias against population-based medicine. You know, this UN-driven World Health Organization uh, database. Who, you know, it's eugenics. It's like the, the, the blue, in my opinion, the blueprint for eugenics. You know, all you need is some crazy to get in there and say these people aren't worth it because they cost the system too much money. And then you're off and That's running, right. aren't you? That's right. I, it's, I, some, sometimes when I think about this, you know, as you're talking about it, it's sometimes I think it's like imagining the origin of the universe that things have expanded so much and so exponentially in, what, the last five years with regard to all this communication, internet, what databases can do, and how much you can store, and the human genome, et cetera, et cetera, that there's an end game to this, and we don't know what it is. And that's the scary part. I agree. And the fact that this is always use it, they always start off with the same thing. World, you know, feed everybody and cure cancer. That's how they always start off because it sounds altruistic, but it always seems to go left somehow. You know, the GMO crowd, you know, when that started, it was all about helping feed the planet and having more food yield and so on and so forth. And then when you started to look and peek under the cover, you were seeing that you had less of a yield, that the seeds couldn't recreate other other plants or other foodstuffs without you having to buy the actual seed from a company. It's all about right. control. I mean, whoever has controls the water, controls the food source, controls your health care, they have a, a serious amount of control over your quality of life. Do you really want somebody else to have that, or do you want to have that? People need to and, think about that. And that's what it comes down to, that 
and even people who think, well, of course I want to control my own health care. It's my life. Mm-hmm. Then you have to expand that thought to other areas that we're living in and really make it a goal and ask yourself, do I have an individual choice in whatever this may be? How can I make sure I am treated like an individual and not like one of the unwashed masses? And this whole concept certainly has been developing through the years, politically speaking, the idea that the politico types have become elites that have no idea what the people want, think, feel, do, need, and moreover, they don't care. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> That's the problem. They have disdain for us. You know, they can't stand us. We're a means to an end. It's a means to, uh, you know, get value out of somebody, you know, whether it's their mind, their, their labor, you know, their body. It's all about use. And but then that's when it becomes our fault agreed. for not paying attention, and we just have to. I, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, you you have to have some self. I mean, skin in the game, and you have to make sacrifices. You have to make an informed choice. I I have a problem with the powers that be taking away our informed consent. But on the flip side, if we don't demand. They're, you know, we're more of us than there are them. You know, why do we have the power? We can stop buying things. We can stop getting sick. We can stop making easy choices because it's cool. We can do all of these things and actually turn off the spigot, I think. I mean, on that note, let's take a break because I want to get your take on that and talk about more nuts and bolts, what's going on daily, because you have a really interesting point in your article I want to address. So let's revisit that when we come back. You're listening to Medicine on Call. health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Welcome back to Medicine Call. Um, you know, Dr. Singleton, you're such, it's such a pleasure to speak with you because you can speak about so many things and you can connect the dots, which I think people get so caught up in their emotion and being right and being part of a group. This is, you made a, you hit on something which I think is a major problem. Over the last several years, maybe longer, there's been a, an absolute growth and a, a, a um, how can I put it, 
making people start to think of themselves as a group, identity politics, whether or not you're a man or a woman, this is the stupidest thing ever. I am not a monolithic, I don't think like everybody who's supposed a doctor, who's black, who's a woman, who's American. I don't think like everybody else. I am a, I'm an individual. That is the, yeah. that's the garlic to this vampire, you know, you know, everybody is one and, and you're supposed to be diversity and also the crap that they come up with. What do you think oh, about that? <laughs> I just think it's the worst and it's getting worse and worse in the colleges, oh, no, high yeah. schools, whatever, grouping people. And I'm old enough to remember when nobody wanted to be in a group, that the whole point was <laughs> be you, be yourself, yep. be what you can be, what it, whatever little slogan you want to come up with, I am me. And uh, now suddenly, oh, be part of this group, and we're going to treat your group all this way or that mm -hmm. way. And again, the only people that it's helping in that alleged group are the ones who are vocal, who have the money, and who we get to see on the news. But does that really reflect the ideas of everybody else? No, but it keeps everybody silent. So if you actually do stick your head up, someone's going to try to lop it off as you're racist, sexist, you know, you're against some, I don't even know, there's more than one, uh, it's not male or females, I get about 30 different things now, which makes absolutely no sense. So if you start talking about genetically being a male or a female, you're the worst person in the world. It's like truth doesn't exist. Reality doesn't exist. It's all augmented and it's just ridiculous. But it, it serves is. a it purpose. Is. Now, I mean, we don't talk, we do talk politics, but I think it's kind of interesting this Alabama race and the whole Me Too campaign and the, the weaponization of real, real pain that the people are coming up with. I was sexually harassed because he asked for my number. Are you serious? That, it's gotten to. I once had <laughs> a nurse who complained about a doctor in the recovery room because he put his hand on her shoulder when he was giving report of vital signs. And I looked at her and I said, are you kidding me <laughs> that you think, I realize you're an attractive woman, but he's not hitting on you. I said, I just put my hand on your shoulder. And I said, if you want me to tell you the truth, it's because when we come in to give reports, you don't turn around and pay attention to us. And so we have <laughs> to put our hand on our shoulder to get your attention. I don't want to say, you boob. But, you know, and say, if you were like so-and-so over there, who as soon as we wheel the patient in, you say, hello, Dr. Singleton, who are you bringing me? Mm -hmm. Then I know I have the nurse's <laughs> attention. Isn't this sad? I mean, and, uh, I, I was stunned. And then I said, and this is what bothers me. And my husband gets so sick of me ragging about this. But I, I just said, well, did you tell him that Thank you. that bothers you or it offends you or whatever what word you want to use? And he says, well, no. 
And <laughs> if you don't tell somebody, how would they know? Thank you. I, I, I'm with you on this. And I understand. Listen, what it, what it actually does is it demeans people who have been attacked. And who, I mean, yes. you look at the continuum of what's been put out there in politics. You know, that guy from N- M- NBC, what's it, Matt Lauer? That guy is a predator. That's a completely different standard right. with someone with a button right. to, to lock the door and attack you. And by the way, where were people going to the police? I mean, I don't care what job I have. If I feel unsafe and someone's coming after me, I don't want that job. I want that person in jail. So are you talking about your ambition is so overwhelming that you would take that? That's a different level as opposed to someone asking you out a couple of times and you saying no. That's not the same thing, but they're they're equalizing everything. And in the process, I think desensitizing people to people who really have had something happen to them. That's tragic. Then I think that is tragic. Well, that's what happened with date rape. I remember my freshman college roommate and I when all this date rape stuff started coming out. And she and I looked at each other and said, these are people who went to a fraternity party and went girls gone wild (laughs) and then they regret it the next day and then when there really is a true date rape nobody believes you they think it's all this girls gone wild because she says boy think of us in college Mm. and it and some of the crazy stuff you did, and then you regret it the next day, but you don't go blaming it on somebody else. And uh, they've they've expanded the use. This is what really bothers me. Like you just said, okay, asking somebody, kind of somebody who just thinks you're God's gift to womanhood, <laughs> and so they can't take no after three times asking. And... Is that the same thing as being sexually assaulted? Yet that's what the charge began as. Mm-hmm. And then after it's said on the news several times, suddenly it's a sexual assault. That's not a sexual assault. Or making Give you feel a, a certain way, but you not, like you describe, you never say it. Or you keep putting yourself back in that situation. I just that's kind of interesting to me. I mean, this is not all just women. This is men too. I don't. I'm I'm a big opera fan, and the conductor at the Met was, I guess he was suspended because somebody claimed that he, I you know they had a relationship of some sort back in the day, like 30 years ago. But the question was, okay, if it happened, one, it was seven years. You kept going back. I'm not saying that. Everybody's mindset is different, right? But now it's 30 years later, and it's like this... If you ever someone ever pissed you off or you felt bad, now it's become something different. And I think we really need to have a conversation about fact versus somebody's emotional take on something. It's very easy to say. Like Corey Feldman, I, I put in... I went to the police, I made a report... And then nothing happened. That's a different standard than someone saying, someone just made me feel some sort of way and I never told anybody and it's 30 years later. That's just different. I think we need to actually have that conversation because everybody's going to be on that hot seat at some point because someone's got a vendetta or they're pissed or they, when they think about it, yeah, I felt kind of bad about it or I got really angry or you're right, maybe I should have. That's kind of a different standard, isn't it? 
and perhaps this whole thing rather than the me too well I'm going to tell on them now is the training should be more okay it's done and it was 30 years ago whatever Mm -hmm. let's look at people again this comes down to no one having conversations anymore that speak up at the time and like you said and this is what I was telling my husband you don't think you know 30-some years ago as a woman, as a surgical intern, I wasn't treated a little differently, but guess what? You do your job really well, Mm -hmm. and uh, you'll get to do more surgeries, and even when I got to do more surgeries, some of the other interns grumbled, oh, well, she must be sleeping with the chief resident. Mm -hmm. They can say it all they want. I don't care, and if you hear them say, it's shut the you-know-what up and speak up at the moment and no career is worth it. No. And one of the things I learned and I learned this pretty early on in my 20s that as long as you're speaking up is done respectfully, you know, first couple of times if somebody's really way off then that's when you can get ugly. Mm-hmm. But usually that doesn't happen. You do it respectfully they will end up respecting you. You will not lose your job. And many times I spoke up, and this was before there were even laws against retaliation and laws against sexual harassment and all this. It's speaking up. Mm -hmm. And your pride has to be more important than some job. And uh, it bothers me that this has been change where mere oh that made me feel bad or whatever has turned into a verbal assault and that's it it's sad it's very sad and you know what's going to happen there's going to be a backlash agree and it bothered me just like when people would criticize some policies of Barack Obama then they would be called a racist. Mm-hmm. Well, then guess what? Then I guess we'll never have another black president because it being you can't even open your mouth without being accused of being a racist. And it's going to be the same with a woman. And, okay, Dr. George, call me crazy, <laughs> but I think all this sexual stuff is coming out because they want a woman president. And... You can see this coming, that the only way to resolve all the sexual harassment issues is if we have a woman president, then everything will be fine. I've even heard pundits on the show say, oh, well, let's begin the conversation by saying everything would be better if we had a woman on top. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm living in Atlanta, and there were two women running for mayor, and guess what? They pulled out the race card. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> what? what? It doesn't matter. It, you keep thinking the grass is greener on the other side, it never stops. It'll be someone who went to Ivy League versus someone who didn't. Someone you know who's fairer in complexion versus someone who isn't. Give me a break. How about content of character instead of color of skin? That's what we all... Wasn't that the whole civil rights movement? All of a sudden, and this is where we you have to be think about this critically. There's a lot of cynical people out there. Who stands to gain from what? 
the Congressional Black Caucus would not have as much power as they do if they couldn't sit here and say nothing has changed. Forget that there was a two-term black president. Forget that they're sitting in Congress for like 50 years. Nothing has changed. So in order for them to stay relevant in their minds, they always, nothing, everybody's the worst person in the world, everybody's a racist. I submit that that Congressional Black Caucus has done absolutely nothing for black people. That's my opinion. <laughs> I totally agree. And I had written an article several years ago where I outlined all the cities that had black superintendent schools, black mayors, and for years. Not just one, but for years. And these towns have steadily gone downhill. So it's not an issue of racism. It's an issue of poor management. So just get the best manager in there. Get the person who really has the students at heart and not themselves. So for many people, having some of these jobs is just a stepping stone to power. It has nothing to do with the people and helping them out. But I really feel that many organizations are not going to hire a good woman Mm -hmm. just because they don't want to be tarred with that brush of sexual harassment or discrimination or whatever when the woman doesn't get promoted or something happens. It's, It's just stunning to me that people don't think that you're going to ruin it for Mm -hmm. a lot of people if you have these silly complaints. And I'm not saying they're all silly. Don't get me wrong. No. But people need to think about what really happened. And that's the other problem of when something goes on for 10, 20, 30 years, that your memory heightens. (laughs) <laughs> it does not get more accurate. <laughs> it, it sort of embellishes the story. Yeah. I, and I I just, it's one of the reasons that contemporaneous notes and contemporaneous testimony is taken as true. But testimony and statements that come years later are not assumed to be true, you know, when you're kind of looking at some legal things, you you have to have something that corroborates because everybody knows memory fades, memory changes, little stories are added, and all this sort of thing happens. Mm -hmm. And it's human nature. It's nothing against the person. That's just how we are. That's just how our brains work. And uh, I just don't want there to be a backlash against all the, the strides that women have made to say, well, we're not going to have a woman CEO anymore. That was one of the reasons I was always so proud of Carly Fiorina Mm -hmm. was here she was, CEO of HP, and there were some things that happened during that term. She was let go, but she never cried sexism. You know, she she moved on. We we all need to. Personal responsibility, right? I mean... Not every, not everything works out the way you want it to, and it, it it happens. And sometimes you didn't work as hard as you should have. Sometimes you try to take a shortcut. Sometimes it really is someone who has it out for you. But 
what are you going to, you got to keep it moving. If you sit there and stew about something, you never move forward. And I think that's also that group think that it's not only that everybody's in a group, but every group's a victim. So you have this perpetual helplessness, anger, a cognitive dissonance. It just keeps you completely, you're unable to arm yourself to fight for anything. And you expect someone else to come in and take care of you. That's where we are, it seems. Like they want us to be that way in society. And medicine is the same way. Everything you just described, I think, can fit the doctor profile at this point as well. Beating us down, you know, tell us how, you know, we're not worth anything except we're the cause of all the, we're the underlying cause of all the healthcare problems. So we need to be controlled. That's kind of what's going on in our profession as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely true. One of the things that struck me at the end of residency is after you're a resident for very minimal pay, probably about minimum wage, I don't know, my colleagues and I, when we were interns, figured out that we were making 28 cents an hour, <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> given the number of hours. But um, it, it's a process of being devalued. And so then you go out into private practice and many times you're so shocked when you have this patient, thank you, oh, you're just wonderful. And this is thing, oh my goodness, are they crazy? And it's like, no, I, I did a good job and somebody's thanking me. It, it takes a while to get that mindset changed. And now that mindset, they're trying to instill that in people who are already out of residency and who are in private practice and should be feeling like, yes, I'm doing something of value, my patients are doing well, and they thank me, and they're happy to see me, even though they're not happy they're sick, but mm-hmm. they're happy to see me, and all these good things, but after a while, if you get enough bad press, you're going to start to believe it. And this is bad because then that's how you are controlled. But if you look at the, if you're able to step back and see the bigger picture, there is a rhyme or reason to it. They want to get us out of the front line of healthcare to save money. This is now a corporatized, uh, monopolized system. Their job, just like any insurance company, is to collect a premium and not pay out. What? Why do you think they're? I mean, think about it, hor- you know, horizontally or progressively, if you want to put it that way. Telemedicine is cheaper for an insurance company to deal with because you're not in a doctor's office getting scoped or having anything else. You're getting Zithromax or whatever on a 10-minute, $20 visit. And they just pocketed all your premium. Same thing goes for the hospitals. They want their doctors to be on telemedicine too, for example, because they're not going to have to spend money on gauze and, you know, lab running lab tests, et cetera. They can just, that's straight up money. The government loves it because they know exactly what's going on with the patient. Everything that's on that electronic medical record can be sifted through. So, I mean, everybody stands to gain. You got Wall Street involved now, making it like a mushroom, a cottage industry of telemedicine companies for doctors who don't want to open up or can't open their, their own practice or they're retired. It's just they've, they've co-opted us. They've monetized us. 
but you know the system can't run without us. I don't care how many doctors and nurses you get. I don't care how many physician assistants you have. I don't care. And the scope of practice in that side of the healthcare system has gone crazy. I mean, I think in what well, in England, I think some nurses are actually performing surgery. That's right. That's <laughs> right. It's a surgical specialist nurse or whatever. Yeah. The biggest problem with that sort of thing is that's fine, I suppose, if you're doing the same thing over and over, kind of like I understand it used to be, I don't know if it's this way now, the Russian Assembly Line Cataract, where hmm. one person opens the eye, the other person pops out the lens, the <laughs> other person <laughs> sews it back up. <laughs> but what happens if your patient doesn't fit in that mold? Then what do you do? Then you miss and the diagnosis. The right, you miss the diagnosis. You have a stage four instead of a, you know, in situ. There's consequences. Or then you put but, it in hospice, you know? I mean, it's sick. Well, this is what bothers me, is the expansion of hospice, because talk about too much of a good thing. <laughs> I think it's a wonderful idea, and when it started, the idea that you could have a nice, quiet place when it was clear that nothing more could be done for you, that why should you be in a hospital in an uncomfortable bed with smells and everything else all around you and bells ringing and all that. It's And many people weren't in a position that they had a, a decent home to go to where they could just be there and quietly be in their own bed and watch their own TV or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the concept was very good. Now, and I have seen this, and this is no exaggeration, where one false move on the poor patient's part, they take a little dip downward and, oh, I think they need comfort care. Jeez. And so comfort care has, it's like the first line of treatment, and this is what scares me. Yeah, I've seen, I've heard of younger people and younger people in, in there. Um, you know, you have a hip replacement and you end up in hospice. I mean, this is not not right. Seriously, no. <laughs> it's, not, it's not funny. It's it's just sad. I, well, it is sad, and you know we can laugh as physicians, and you only hope that your family, even though I'm going to be the one that's sick, that you've schooled your family well enough to know that. Give me a chance to have two downturns, not just that first downturn, and suddenly it's the morphine trip. And to school people, that you're not knocking hospice as a concept, just not that no matter what the diagnosis and you do your differential treatment, number one pops up hospice, number two antibiotics, you know, number three, steroids, that let's get hospice in the position that it belongs on that list. I agree. I mean, well, you know, it all started, well, I wouldn't say it started, but it got fueled by the government paying for end-of-life care, decision-making decision and conversations. They'll pay for that, but they won't pay for the hip replacement. What do you think the hospital's going to offer? It's all about the money. Follow the money. And if you don't control your own pocketbook, this is why I really am against any expansion of government payments for anything, CHIP, 
uh, Medicaid, they're not your friend. They get to decide your standard of living, your standard of care, what your child gets. I think I've told you the story, but I've done work in clinics, you know, doing locum tenens, and the amount of children that came through on antipsychotics, ADHD medicine, I mean, a laundry list of antipsychotic medicine, it was just incredible. How can a two-year-old or three-year-old be put on all that medicine? To me, that's just taking them out of the ballgame. Antidepressants in a five-year-old, come on. Everybody oh, just, they're all insane bad. and depressed? Come on. And the, the Government Accountability Office did a huge study on it, and your experience fits with what their study showed, that it was this huge number of young children, and their young children in the foster care system oh, yeah. and on Medicaid. And when they compared that to children in private practice, and it was five times it, you know it was huge yeah. the difference and so this is just a way oh keep them quiet well they might as well chain them to the bed I, I agree and you know for the people who talk about access and and things being asymmetric in terms of you know people without means not getting the same level of care and health care is a right not a privilege you're putting all these children in a position where they'll never be able to enter society. I mean, most of them won't. How much damage does that occur, uh, you know, cause the brain as it's developing? All these immunizations that little kids are getting now. I mean, these are all conversations that never get had because there's no, uh, you know, no discussion, no, uh, how can I put it? You, no, they don't tell you what the, the risks are. They just do it to you. And because it's Well, that's because pain, they're told. Well, that's an issue and I think we need to actually take our power back and ask questions and parents need to be involved and you as a patient need to ask your doc do I need to be on all these 10,000 medications or can we start cleaning house what do I need to do to get better instead of just manage me that's where it comes down to, to we have the power we need to take it back but they're not going to give it to you you're going to have to take it back don't you think absolutely and and this is one thing that all the patients, you can tell them, ask, ask, ask when you're in the doctor's office. And just recently in New York Times, there was an article about seniors being on too many medications. And I certainly did this with my own mother. I just said, let's just start from scratch mm -hmm. because some of this stuff, why are you even on it anymore? And amazingly, it was down to one blood pressure medicine mm -hmm. And she felt 10 times better. And that was at the age of 85. So more and more. And, th and there is something to, as patients get older, their body just sort of tends to kind of equalize out. And this needs to be done. There does need to be a big clean out. But again, it, this land of the 10-minute office visit, patients feel like, oh, well, I better not say anything. The doctor has to do this, this, this. It is your time. You paid for it. Get in there and ask questions. I think on that note where you have to end, what's the best way for my listeners to get in touch with you or read your blogs? Well, there's, um, you can go to aapsonline.org and there I am and Singleton is sitting up there, just click that on, and many of the articles, and uh, gee, 
any if anybody ever wants to contact me, you can contact me directly at MarilynMSingleton at gmail.com. Thank you so much. It's always an honor and a pleasure, and happy Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Same to you. Thank you so much for having me on. Take care. Thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.